Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> we are in a series of messages walking through the, uh, the letter of Paul to the Corinthians. We call it 1 Corinthians. And um, we're actually picking up in chapter 12. And if you've been with us kind of tracking through this, we have, we have hit all kinds of gold mines and landmines along the way. Um, the thing I love about preaching through the Word is that we are confronted with the entirety of Scripture, um, even the parts that we don't like. And so we've talked about division in church. We've talked about sexual immorality. We've talked about marriage and singleness. We've talked about how to judge well, how to make difficult decisions. Last week, Pastor Tom did an amazing job on the significance of communion in the body of Christ. Amen. It was awesome. And, uh, and so we're going to pick up in, in chapter 12 and Essentially, Paul's going to be introducing a brand new topic today, and he's going to spend the next three chapters talking about this one topic. And the topic is this, the gifts and the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And today, specifically, as we begin chapter 12, Paul's going to be outlining um, the use of this thing that we call the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, some of you, it's funny, um, depending on your church background or your personal experience or lack thereof, um, we all approach the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit with very differently. Um, some of you are like, hallelujah, we're talking about the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you embrace them wholeheartedly, and some of you are a bit scared because uh, you're like, huh, I've heard of lore of these. Um, some of you may wonder if they're for today um, or if they're kind of even real. And so the, the, the thing is, is that like we're going to talk about all of them, at least the ones that he outlines here in the beginning of chapter 12, and even the one, the, the controversial one, the gift of tongues. Um, and uh, some churches, it's, it's important for us to realize this, that like some churches teach, and maybe you, maybe you grew up in a church like this, that they teach this doctrine called cessationism. And um, it's, it's this idea that the charismatic gifts were only for a specific time period, like during the, the days of the original apostles. And all those gifts have since ceased since the, the Bible was created and the apostles died. And for me, there's one big problem with that, is that they didn't go away um, when the apostles died. They've continued throughout church history. They didn't go away when the Bible was created. Um, they continue to still be operating in, in our church, in my life, and in the life of Jesus' followers all up till today. And we're going to read this as, as we even get into it. Paul kicks this whole section off. He spends three chapters talking about this. And he essentially says, like, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I, do, I don't want you to be misinformed or uninformed about spiritual gifts. So why don't you stand with me? And uh, we're going to read chapter 12. We're going to start like verse 1 through 11. And uh, let's, see, let's see kind of what Paul has to say. He says, now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And to one, there's given the Spirit message of wisdom. To another, message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, the gift of faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the, that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. Um, all these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Amen. So Lord, we ask that as we get into your word, that we would not be uninformed or ignorant about the things that are important to you. And so 
depending on our background or experience, Lord, we, we embrace the things that you embrace and cause us to be open and ready, willing to accept your truth into our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. So um, verse one, I think is like he sets this whole thing off. And, and let me just remind you if, you, if you've read ahead, you know that 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. And uh, if, just so you understand, Paul is still actually talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 13. It's not just for you to read uh, at your wedding. Um, he starts out and he says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, right off the bat, there is something that I, I really feel like I, I want to clarify because, because it's really at the heartbeat of what we're going to be talking about today. And it's this, this phrase says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, that, that, that like terminology right there, the gift, gifts of the Spirit. If you look at it in the Greek, which I'm sure you haven't recently, um, if you look at it in the Greek, it actually is, there's not that word gift it has, they've, they've essentially put gifts of the Spirit so that we can help understand what it is that Paul's talking about. But it's actually one word, and that word is pneumaticos, which I don't expect you to understand. But um, pneumaticos is essentially the root word is pneuma, which is spirit. And then that atticos ending simply makes that noun into an adjective. So it's really interesting because we say like now about the gifts of the Spirit, but what Paul is saying is that essentially as he's introducing this new topic, he's like, I don't want you to be uninformed about spirituals. Like, I don't want you to be uninformed about the things the Spirit is up to, Spirit stuff. Um, in fact, that's what, I, that's what I named the message today, Spirit stuff. Because uh, this is what Paul's talking about. He's like, I don't want you to be uninformed about spirit stuff. Um, Paul's going to be today defining and listing, and we'll be talking about it in a bit, like what the spirit stuff looks like. And uh, he ends up talking about spiritual gifts and love and practice and all of those things. But at the heart of it, he's like, I want you to know about what the spirit of God is up to in the life of believers. And he leads off with kind of a really odd statement, uh, verse 2 and 3. He says, well, you know, when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Which is like, okay, yeah, okay, we're pagans, idols. Verse 3 is weird, though. He says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Like, in other words, I, I find that odd because I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I can't say Jesus is Lord. Like, I can't say those words unless I'm prompted by the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm sure, I can. I can say it all the time. Non-Christians can say it. Like, that's not a thing. Like, I don't, when I first read that, I'm like, what, what exactly is Paul talking about? So I want to give you a little bit of, like, context because I think it will help you understand what it is that exactly Paul is saying about the Spirit stuff. He says, Jesus is Lord. You can't say it unless you're prompted by the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand this, that Jesus is Lord, that, that term, it's actually in quotation marks, wasn't like a saying back in Paul's day. It wasn't a cliche that everybody just said, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, that term, was actually a dangerous, subversive statement, like would get you in trouble in Paul's day. Because, remember, Corinth, the city, was part of the Roman Empire. And that term, Lord, was reserved for one person, and that is the Roman Empire. And that saying, if there was a saying about someone is Lord in the Roman Empire, was Caesar is Lord. In fact, to refuse to say Caesar is Lord or to say that somebody else was Lord, like Jesus is Lord or whoever is Lord, would get you into trouble, jail, or, or worse. And so Paul is saying, what he's saying without saying in verse 3 is this, nobody puts their neck out on the line to say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit makes it so real to you that you care not about what other people think about it. 
Make no mistake, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, that the Holy Spirit will give you a holy boldness. That there is like a knowing in your knower when the Spirit of God comes upon you, when you encounter Jesus Christ, that there is a boldness that you know and you can say clearly, Jesus is Lord. It's what Paul's talking about. And he's like, I refuse to not say the name of Jesus. Arrest me if you need to, but I'm just telling you, Jesus is my Lord. And there is a, there is a part when we're talking about like the things of the Spirit, like Spirit stuff, that there is a courage and boldness that you should expect to come out of you when the Holy Spirit is in you. Amen? So that means that many times, and Paul knows this all well to be true, that like we have to stand before kings and co-workers and also we stand before emperors and family members and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it may not be popular and it may get us in trouble and people may persecute you. But the reality is, is that there is a boldness and knowing in our knower of who our Lord is and an unwillingness to recant otherwise. Amen? So that's what Paul's talking about. And he's like, no, like you don't put your neck out on the line and say that unless you know that you know that you know. And there's a holy boldness on the inside of you. That's the work of the Spirit. Then he goes on in verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. In other words, God will work in you and through you differently than me. But our differences are not meant to compare with each other. Our differences are meant to complement each other, which means that God has given you different gifts than he's given me, and I need you, and you need me, as we are the family of God, the body of Christ on earth. That he uses each and every single one of us. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't give you a gift because you earned it. That's why they're called spiritual gifts, not awards right? It's not because you earned it, and it's not because you're good enough. Literally, um, when we start to think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are awards or merit badges because we're so holy, that, then we will deduce that they are given to us for us. And many times, if you've been around the church for any length of time and you've watched the gifts of the Spirit at work, um, we've, we've seen and watched where the gifts of the Spirit are not submitted to the fruit of the Spirit. And it gets messy. Um, and the gifts of the Spirit don't look like anything that I would want to receive. And that is the importance of why we realize that the gifts are given to us but not for us. Because we can get so focused on what gifts we have like we say that, like, well, we even we have spiritual gift inventories, and we do that in, in, in our growth track. Like, well, well, what gift do you have? Well, I have, um, I have prophecy and words of knowledge. <laughs> what do you have? Uh, I don't know, like maybe, maybe faith. I don't know. <laughs> and you're like, um, I remember when I only had one. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I was a wee lad in the Lord, right? Like I've just pray for you. Maybe it'll grow. You know what I mean? Like one day you'll have two like me. <sighs> anyway, let's talk about me. Um, we, we get to this place where we start to think that like the gifts of the Spirit are something that we're supposed to uh, accumulate or almost like trading cards. Like I'll give you, uh, you pray for my, my prophecy and I'll pray for your healing. Like I mean we go back and forth. Like, but honestly, if we're going to be very straight up honest that the, the true gift isn't on a list. The true gift is actually the Holy Spirit. There's manifestations and workings and ways of serving and all of those things, but do not forget that the gift, the gift, the gift, the true gift is actually not prophecy. It's, it's not tongues. It's not a The true gift is the Holy Spirit. Let me read it for you. Acts chapter 1, this is what Jesus said. Do not leave Jerusalem, he's telling to his, to his disciples, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there are manifestations, there are giftings, there are workings, there's spirit stuff, right? But the Holy Spirit is the true gift, which means that 
He is the God inside you, the Christ in you, the hope of glory, that like he is very much at work in the life of a believer. And, and so in all of your seeking after spiritual gifts, make sure that you are focused on the true gift, the Holy Spirit. And then, then Paul tells us, he's like, um, here's the point of all the Spirit stuff. And he says it, he kind of sums it up in verse 7. This is the point. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Notice he says to each one, which means that you are each one. In other words, um, you're gifted and we need you. So spiritual gifts are from God, but they operate through you. So we need you. We need the gifts that God has placed in your life. Why? Because it's the beauty of the family of God. It's how God designed it, that we are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus which means that I don't have all of everything that I need or to be able to minister the full, the fullness of gospel. I need you and I need you and the giftings that you bring and all of us together make a beautiful picture of the body of Christ and the family of God. Amen? It's how God designed us that we are actually dependent on each other to portray the fullness of Christ in the earth. Good. And so Paul wrote this. He's like, they're given for the common good. In other words, the gifts of the Spirit are not given for you. They're given to you for the good of others. And when we start to think that like the gifts of the Spirit are, are trading cards or things that we're supposed to accumulate so that we can have them and say, well, well, how many gifts do you have? Well, I have three. How many do you have? Then we, we quickly are, are off mission. Tom read this scripture this morning. I'm going to read it again. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, because this is the point of spiritual gifts. He says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Because God was with him. Now, in its simplest form, when it comes to spirit stuff, the gifts of the spirit, spiritual gifts are simply the continuation of the ministry that Jesus began in the earth. Just in the same way as Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, just as we are filled with God's Spirit, make no mistake that, that the role of the gifts of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit is the same as it was in Jesus. It's the same as it plays out in the life and the, and the body of Christ today, that we are the continuation of the ministry that Christ began. And those gifts are not meant for you to hoard or to navel gaze. They are meant for others, to serve others, to be winsome to others for the love of Christ. And he goes on, he says, like, essentially, um, I want to I show you all these different gifts. So he, he gives us kind of these, these nine gifts, charismatic gifts. And I want to be very clear with you that these, this is not like an exhaustive list. There's actually other gifts that are listed that Paul actually lists in, in other letters. But I think it's important for us to kind of quickly and briefly go down to get understanding of these nine gifts, these charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a couple of them. Um, the first one, um, what... Paul's list of some of the spirit stuff. The first one is word of wisdom. The first is word of wisdom. What is the word of wisdom? Let me, let me define it for you. This is when the Holy Spirit gives us a divine answer for a particular challenge. Now, Jesus was, if you think of it, he was 30 years old, and he was owning the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in every single Q&A session and every single gotcha moment that they put him in. Like he, they, they were like, oh, we got him now. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna ask him this question. We're gonna, get, we're gonna corner him here. He's gonna, he's gonna fall here. No, Jesus literally owned them every single time. And he would say, I only do what I see my father doing. Now, maybe you found the Holy Spirit working through you like this when we talk about a word of wisdom. Have you ever been in this place where, and maybe you've been on the giving end or the receiving end of this, where you're talking to someone and, um, and all of a sudden you're like, you're pouring something out of your mouth and you know you're not that smart. You ever been there where you're like, I'd like to take credit for this, but like I'm not, I don't even know actually, uh, if you asked me what I just said, I, 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 I wouldn't be able to remember it or play it back. I'm, I'm that dense. 
And, and, and all of a sudden, there's like this divine wisdom that is pouring out of you, and the person is like, whoa. I feel like that was just like a word from God. Maybe you've, you've experienced that like on the giving end. I have been on the receiving end of that where if you've ever been in a situation, maybe you're sitting with a, with a friend over coffee and you're just talking, talking, talking. Then all of a sudden, it's like the whole atmosphere shifts. And it's like they are speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to you and using them. God loves to use his people to speak his truth into the lives of his children. And that's how, when we talk about the word of wisdom, like sometimes you're like, well, I don't think that I have that because I don't feel like I'm wise enough. Like the reality is, is if, if you are loving towards the body of Christ, God, it puts a draw on his spirit that you will find that he will fill your mouth with things that you know not of. And all of a sudden, you're speaking the words of, words of God into somebody's life, not because you've thought it, it's literally outside of here, and your spirit is speaking through, through, through you to them. Amen? So that's kind of like a word of wisdom. Maybe you've experienced it, maybe on the receiving end of it, and you're like, oh yeah, I've had that happen to me. I didn't know what that was. That's what it is. Um, sometimes we get to make it all mystical, like, ooh, the charismatic gifts, they're all freaky, and we gotta say, like, thus saith the Lord, duh, and talk like, uh, a lot of us. Um, that's not how it works. God just starts working through you. The second one, word of knowledge. This is when the Holy Spirit allows you to know something specific that you didn't learn by natural means. Like um, Jesus operated in this all the time. You, if you read throughout the Gospels, there were times where he would be in a group of people and he would literally read minds. Like he, he would, the Sadducees were thinking something and he would all of a sudden turn to them and he would start speaking or answering their question that they never actually said out loud. Jesus just had this like, this knowing in his knower of something that was a word of knowledge that he would not know by earthly means. And his father just kind of gave him this, this knowledge then just started speaking to it or addressing it or confronting it, whatever it was. Um, and I think of this like, um, Specifically, Jesus operated in this when he encountered the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, I don't know if you remember this, this story, but Jesus is like, he sends his disciples out to go get Subway, and he's like hanging out around a well, and there's this woman who comes up. She's a Samaritan woman. He doesn't know her, never met her, uh, shouldn't be around her because Samaritans and Jews and men and women, it's just so many, so many issues here. Um, and he starts talking, and then he says to her in John 4, verse 16, he says, Go, call your husband and come back. And she says, well, I have no husband, she replied. And he says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Like, she literally, and, and, and you can read on, but she's like, say what? I, she actually says, I can see you're a prophet. Like, I mean, like, I can see that you, how, how did you, what? How did you know what you have? I never told you this. How did you know this about me? And maybe for you, like, and this is what I, I want you to pay attention to, is like, have you ever had this moment where like all of a sudden you had a prompting or an urging to call someone or text someone that you hadn't been thinking about? Like, if, you, if, if you've ever had a moment like that where like all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, I just feel like I'm supposed to call this person or check in on someone, and they, they're on the other line. You're like, hey, how's it going? I just, I don't know. I just felt led to, to give you a call. And they're like, I'm so glad you called. You called at the, the perfect time. And I've had people do that to me, people right here in this church that you had no idea what was going on. Give me a call and say, hey, like, um, I don't know what's going on. I just feel like God wanted me to say this. And it is like so perfect. You have no idea what it is that I'm going through, what the circumstance that I'm currently facing. And it is a now word, a word of knowledge that speaks right to my circumstance that you have no clue what's going on. That is how the Holy Spirit will work in you. So I just want to encourage you when something like, like maybe someone's like, I want you to give someone a hundred bucks, or I want you to call this person. I want you to do this. It's probably not you. It's probably the Holy Spirit. And I'm just telling you, if it's something kind, like I want you to call someone, check in on someone, give someone some money, it's probably not the devil, even though you'd like to believe it. You'd be like, get thee behind me, Satan. I ain't giving no hundred dollars to nobody, right? Like, no, the reality is, is that many times the Holy Spirit will put something on our hearts to do something for the common good. 
And we need to just listen to it, just walk in it. And many times when we just choose to do that, we on the other side of it are so blessed to be used by God to comfort and edify someone else. And many times we're like, oh no, I don't want to bother them. And we miss out on an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to use us in spirit stuff. Amen? All right, next one. Um, faith. Faith. And some of you are like, okay, well, I, don't, we all, don't we all have faith? Do you have, to, do you have to have the gift of faith? This is what it's talking about. It is a supernatural confidence in God for a specific situation. Like Jesus operated in this all the time uh, when he had to walk in and trust that his father <laughs> knew everything that was going on. I think of the Garden of Gethsemane where he's literally on his face sweating great drops of blood and literally saying to his father, I know we had this plan. I was on board when we made this in heaven, but now that I'm here, is there a way out? Like, could this cup just pass? Can we, can we, did we think it through? You know what I mean? Like, because I'm, I'm facing what I know is ahead of me and I really don't want to have to go through it. But there is, there is this supernatural confidence. And as he got down and as he prayed to his father, there's this point, and you can read it for yourself. He stands up and he's like, let's go. There is a supernatural confidence, not in the face of what he was walking to, because he was walking into a mess but there was a knowing in his knower that he was in the will of his father and he was willing to walk forward no matter what. And for some of you, maybe you've been in like, or you're in a, a tough circumstance. Like you've got this going on, maybe with your health or something in a relationship. And you're just like, I don't know why, but I have this incredible peace of surpassing, that surpasses my understanding, a confidence that God has this. Or maybe you're watching somebody, your wife or your husband, that are just like in the midst of it, have this peace. And you look at them and you're like, I don't know if I should be inspired by you or concerned for you. And you watch someone walk through this and you see how God backfills and he provides and he comes along and he literally just walks through them and that this peace isn't just like this euphoric idea, but it is actually something that has grounded them. And they've walked through a difficult situation with the gift of faith. You need it. <laughs> you need this. You're like, well, I don't really know. No, you, you do. I'm just telling you, nobody, nobody turns this down, the gift of faith. So pray for it. Eagerly seek after it. Number four, um, healing. This is a supernatural endowment of divine health. Um, Jesus healed the sick. He cleansed lepers. He raised the dead. He healed paralyzed people. Um, I've personally, if you're like, well, I don't know if healing's for today, I would have to disagree. And not because I understand everything. I'm just saying I've watched it happen in front of my own eyes. Like I've watched a leg grow in front of my face. I've, Pastor Tom, when we were in high school, I watched him, like God put his shoulder back into socket miraculously. Um, I, I've, I've watched, like literally, I've prayed for a guy with a broken back and I've, I've literally heard and felt the snap, crackle, pop, race, crispies of his back being put back into alignment underneath my hand as we prayed. Like we heard a testimony this just, just this past week of a woman who had a spot on her breast and went back to the doctors and the doctor's like, it's gone. Like it's disappeared. And I don't have anything to, I, I don't know why. Do we understand how this happens? No. Are you kidding me? Like, I have no clue. And many times I'm like, as we pray, sometimes we're called to pray the prayer of faith and it's like, I'm trying. I, I, don't, know, I've, I don't know how you're going to do this, but God, I'm going to pray this prayer of faith. I'm going to lay hands on the sick because you say, and does he heal everybody? No, but I've watched him heal people time and time and, and time again. So that's healing. And then there's number five is miracles. Paul talks about He's, this is a divine intervention that alters circumstances. This is when somebody um, prays for you and God changes the circumstance. Like maybe a check comes in the mail just when you needed it, covers exactly what you needed. Maybe, maybe you've been praying for years and the doctors say you can't get pregnant. And then, oh, surprise, surprise twins. Yeah, like <laughs> just happened recently. Uh, may, maybe, 
Maybe God just kind of works a miracle and brings restoration to your marriage or a job opportunity comes when you're like, I don't, I, there's no way out. He always makes ways where there seems to be no way. That is, that's how God works. That's how the miraculous works. When, when we trust him to, that he is going to do something that we couldn't do on our own, the working of miracles. Um, number six is uh, prophecy. Sometimes prophecy is um, the foretelling of a future event. Like um, if you're like Bible prophecy, all I know about Bible prophecy, it's like, oh, we go back to Revelation and we talk about all the blood moons and this is what it's going to look like and all these different things. Sometimes it's like that. And other times, more often in my life when I've experienced prophets, it's, um, it's like a now word. Like for, the, for the, the, the thing that I'm going through right now, um, and, and God uses prophecy to build up and encourage his people. And many times I've, I've, I've received words, uh, prophecy, that have literally just been an encouragement either to an individual or to the, the entire church. Can I just remind you that God loves to encourage his people? He loves to build his, his kingdom, to build his people, the family of God, the body of Christ, up. He loves it. And many times he uses prophecy to do it. Um, and sometimes it can be a temporary thing. Like sometimes like you're like, I, I don't really, I don't consider my, myself prophetic, but times during like a worship service where all of a sudden you'll be worshiping and God will like bring up a scripture or put, put a message on your heart that you're like, ah, what is this? I've never experienced anything like this before. That's a prophetic word that God just, maybe it's for someone, maybe it's for a, a person next to you, whatever that looks like, but God will begin to work prophecy in you. And then there are other times where there are people who actually like hold the office of a prophet, much like a pastor or a teacher, preacher, like hold the office of a prophet where, where, they, where they're able to, to work in the gift of prophecy on a regular basis. So you're like, well, does that still happen though? Like I know of Old Testament prophets, but like that's still a thing? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, I was just thinking this week, a week and a half ago, I received a, a text message of a prophetic word um, from, from a man that I consider a prophet in this house, and it was dead on to what, what it was that I had been praying about. It was a confirmation of everything that I had been seeking after the Lord on. And then just this past week, I don't consider myself to be a prophetic person, um, just this past week, like a few days ago, I was praying with, with a brother and literally a, I felt a prophetic word just kind of come out of my mouth. And it was like, he felt it too. It was one of those moments where it's like, whoa. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I just said. Like God loves to build up his people. And when I'm telling you, if you will lead with love, the Holy Spirit, it is the, it is the fertile soil that the Holy Spirit will work in. If you find yourself, your heart breaking for someone, reaching out, going above and beyond and praying for someone or just ministering to someone, it is the fertile soil that the Holy Spirit will use, that the gifts of spirit will all of a sudden put a draw on in your life. So I just encourage you, start loving on people. You'll see God begin to move in a deeper and greater way in your life. Amen? Um, all right, a couple more. Uh, the seven, discerning of spirits. This is when the Holy Spirit um, helps someone recognize the difference between spirits. Like, is this divine? Is this demonic? Is this God? Is this not of him? That kind of thing. Um, I, there's a really good example of this in Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul is going around and he's preaching and there is this young girl, slave girl, who is the fortune teller and She's going around with them, kind of like their hype girl, and she's like yelling the same thing for days. And she's yelling, this is what she keeps saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Imagine, she's just like, yes, thank you so much, sweetie. You're like, this, this, yeah, well, she, she's like, pay attention to these guys. They're telling you the way to be saved. And um, it's interesting how Paul responds because in verse 18, it says, Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, catch that, to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Right word, wrong spirit. That is like a perfect example of the discernment 
of spirits. If you look at it, you're like, okay, great. Thanks for being our hype girl. Like this, cool, awesome. You're saying all the right things. And yet there's something that is just off. And it's like nails on a chalkboard to Paul. And he finally just gets up and he's like, okay, thank you. Okay, okay, shh, okay. We're shut up. You know, he just starts, he's not speaking to her, he's speaking to the spirit. But like all of a sudden the, the, the spirit leaves this girl and she is free. Because Paul discerned that like, yes, right word, but, but wrong spirit. And I have an exhortation before we move on to the, the, the last two is this. Um, when it comes to the discernment of spirits. Many people think that they have the discernment, the gift of discernment of spirits, but they actually have a knack for criticism. And um, if we're not careful, this is one that I just, it's important because there's, some of these have been misused over the years. Like, if we're not careful, then we can be leaning into judging other people and thinking it's a gift from God rather than a flaw of our flesh. Um, and so I just want you to remember that when, when we're dealing, especially with this, but I think all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is this, like the Holy Spirit gives us good gifts for the benefit of others, not the criticism of others. So it is given for the common good. So the end goal of every good gift of God is always to bring freedom to people. Remember that. It's always to bring freedom. Even, how, look at how Paul dealt with that situation. It wasn't like he's like, get out of here, you deep girl, get out of here. I don't even kicks her out. And he's like, hey, uh, security, you know, gets her out of there. No, he speaks to her. Why? To bring her freedom. Literally, the spirit left her and she was now free. So make no mistake, even in the gift of the discernment of spirits, the end goal of every good gift of God is to bring freedom to people for the benefit of others and the common good. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, Number eight, speaking into tongues. The, The gift of tongues is a speaking of a message from God in a language that was formerly known to, that was not formerly known to the person speaking. Now, that was... Feel like I just spoke that in tongues. Um, <laughs> here's my point. If you have concerns or questions about the gift of tongues, just wait till chapter 14. Um, or you can read ahead. You can always read ahead. Feel free. <laughs> you can always read ahead. Um, because we're, we're going to get into this to an even deeper level because Paul gets into it to an even deeper level. And I don't have time to go in this today, but there's like this important distinction that Paul draws here that the what he's referring to in chapter 12 is the gift of tongues. And chapter 14, he's talking more about this personal prayer language that, um, that Paul operates in on a regular basis. Let me read it for you and, and jump ahead into chapter 14. He says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. So, so Paul is affirming that he speaks in tongues more than anybody, and he doesn't even know you, but he's like, I guarantee you, I speak, I speak in tongues more than anybody. Um, but it's, it's obviously very important to him in his walk. But he's saying, like, I'm not going to grab a microphone and stand up here for 40 minutes and just start speaking in tongues. Because why? Because you don't have any idea what I'm saying. No clue. So what, what fruit is that? I would rather say five words in English than a th- thousand words in tongues, which, which brings us to the last charismatic gift, the interpretation of tongues. And this is when you are given understanding of the thought or intent of the message in tongues. Um, and, I, and I have watched this personally in a church service, future services actually, where someone um, has a message in tongues and yes, it is awkward. Um, and then there is someone that has the interpretation of that message. And I can't tell you how much it, it has blessed the congregation, how much it blesses the, the, the body of Christ. Now, do I, does it happen all the time? No, I'm just saying it does still happen. God still does work in these areas, in these ways. Amen? And he says this in, in chapter 14, verse 5. He says, I would like, catch this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. That's in your Bible. I'm just going to say that. And then he says, 
but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. And I've heard people say like, okay, well, that, that, that means that like Paul's kind of saying like, don't worry about the gift of tongues. Worry about prophecy because that's so much better. But like gift of tongues, we don't need that for today. But, but then look at the end of this. He says this, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. In other words, he's saying, if, if there's an interpretation of a tongue, then it is the same as prophecy, which changes everything. That Paul is not actually saying, don't speak in tongues. He's saying, no, if you're going to speak in tongues publicly, you better have an interpretation. And then it becomes the same as prophecy. It edifies, it builds up the church. Amen? All right. So what, what, what's he saying about all the spirit stuff? Um, three things I want to leave you with. The first one is this, eagerly desire it. He says this in chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And it's that word again, pneumaticos, spirit stuff. He's like, eagerly desire spirit stuff, the things the spirit is up to. And here's what I want to challenge you in, every single person, is that you have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus to actively pursue spirit stuff, what the Spirit is up to, the gifts of the Spirit. So if you're like, well, I don't, I don't know. God's never like, given me a gift before. I don't, I, I've never experienced that before. Have you ever eagerly desired him to? Like, have you ever allowed him and been open for him to, to fill you in that way? Like, have you ever put yourself in a place where, where you had to depend on him to move in you and through you in that way? And I would just encourage you, like, when, it, when he says, like, eagerly desire, I think, I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it means? Eagerly desire. So weird. That one, that one, it is just as that. Eagerly desire spirit stuff. What if God is simply calling us to be open and willing and allow him to fill us? Why? For the common good. That he can put his super on your natural and do things that you could never do to be able to minister to his people. God, first and foremost, wants to bring freedom and love and let his people know that he sees them, that he hears their cries, and he knows their hearts. It's a beautiful thing when the, when the body of Christ works in spirit stuff. Second thing is this, fan it into flame. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Do you know that sometimes you need to be reminded that only you can stir up the gift of God within you? Only you can stir up the gift of God within you. Sometimes we think, I just don't know. I just don't feel like, a, like, like God is using me and my gifts really that much or it just doesn't seem like a place or anything like that. Just understand that giftedness comes with personal responsibility, that God has deposited something in you and it is your duty to develop that which God has deposited in you. And you know how you fan something into flame? You put more wood on the fire. You're like, wow, it's just kind of like flickering out. I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like I, at one time I was working in this area of, of you know, gifting and that kind of stuff. But like, put more wood on the fire. And some of you are like wondering, like, you just need to, you just need to add more wood. What, what does that mean? Well, put yourself in situations that put a draw on the Holy Spirit in you. Sometimes the way that you actually begin to work in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is life on life. And if you don't have proximity to people who God wants to minister to, let me just say this. The gifts of the Spirit are useless with you in isolation. If you're like, well, I don't know, I got like three gifts, I got the cards, check them out. Like, and you're not ministering to anyone. You're not life on life with anyone. You're not loving. You're not in a life group. You're not, you're not, you're not ministering to someone. You're not visiting the sick. If you, you're not going and asking, can I pray for you? I'm just telling you, it will dry up. Because you got to start putting some wood on the fire. Pray for people. Ask if you can pray. Stretch yourself. Put a draw on the Holy Spirit that was within you to do what only he can do through you. Amen? The third point is this, and I'll let you go, is this. 
the, th- the Holy Spirit could work through you as he wills and as you allow. You have been given not just a gift, but the gift, the Holy Spirit, which means, church, which means that you carry the presence of God into every situation that you encounter. That you don't just carry like, oh, the gift of faith. You don't just carry, oh, the gift of healing in your back pocket. You don't just carry the gift of miracles, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom. You carry the fullness of the Holy Spirit within you in every situation that you walk into. So here's, let me give you an example. Um, Peter and Paul, they were going to the temple at the hour of, of prayer, and there was a beggar on the side by the gate of beautiful, and he's begging, asking for alms. And, um, and, and, and Paul looks over and he's realizing this guy needs to get healed. It's a good thing that Paul didn't look at his, uh, his spiritual gift inventory and say, oh, sorry, dude, I have hospitality. <laughs> like, hold on, anybody with healing? Anyone heal? Shoot, Jimbo's not here with, right now. He's got the healing one. Like, I wish you do... You take care there, buddy, right? You just keep moving. No, he looks and he says this, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. And he's not saying, oh, what I have is the gift of healing. I got the gift of miracles. I got the gift of this. He's saying, no, I have the very Holy Spirit dwelling in me, the power of God unto salvation, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I know it's leaping out from the inside of me that 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 same God that lives in me wants wants to live in you and wants to bless you and heal you. I don't know how he's going to do it. I'm just going to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Trusting that God wants to do so much more than we could ever do on our own and realize that you are not just a carrier of gifts of the Holy Spirit. You are a carrier of the gift of the Holy Spirit with its many manifestations and workings and ways of service and all of those things. But know that when God puts his super on your natural, you are not called to just operate in the natural. You're called to carry the presence of God to people who desperately need hope for the common good and the good of others. So allow him to work. Allow him, trust him to to do what only he can do, that you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you stand with me? I was... um, I think it's important. I'm going to read this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, Jesus, Jesus says that you need the Holy Spirit because you need power. Um, I, I have a good friend who a few years ago took me sailing for the first time ever, um, and it's been the only time since. Um, it is a weird experience. If you've ever been sailing, some of you are like, I love sailing. I'm like, sailing freaks me out, okay? Why? Because I don't understand it. it. It makes literally no sense to me. Um, in my mind, sailing means, okay, I'm in a boat, and it's got these things, these, you know, sails that go up, and I would think that, like, if the wind is behind me, that's good because it's going to blow, and then I catch some of that wind, and it propels me forward, Makes sense. And it's completely wrong. If you've ever been sailing before, it literally makes no sense to me at all. Still, even though people are like, well, you need to know about negative and positive pressure. I have no clue what you're talking about. Like, this is the way sailing works, is you literally, you actually aim towards the wind, not like directly into the wind, but you aim in the direction of the wind, and you literally catch the wind that is coming towards you, and it goes around your sails and then gives you lift to move you forward. So as the wind is coming towards you, it's actually pulling. It's almost like rather than pushing you forward, it's pulling you forward, which to me absolutely still makes makes no sense to me, but, but they say that it's true. And the more sail that you put up, the more lift you get, the less sail you put up, the less lift you get, and the slower you go. And the Lord spoke to me something about it, and he says this, like, I can only guide a ship with its sails up for me to fill. He said, watch what I can do if you simply trust me enough to hoist your sail and allow me to guide you. And I watch 
I watch Christians just trying to row, row, row their boat like madmen, um, just trying to get to where they need to go and failing to realize that all we are asked to do is to simply put up our sail and allow the wind of God to blow over us and to fill our sails with him. And do you realize that the Spirit doesn't push you around? The Spirit actually pulls you forward. Isn't that beautiful? Like, there's not like we have this impetus that is like just pushing us in places that we don't want to go. As we choose to look into the wind and to allow the Spirit to blow on us, there is this thing that does not make sense, even now, of a lift of the Holy Spirit that doesn't push us, it draws us, it pulls us forward. And the more we lift up, the more we pulls, the faster we go. And it makes absolutely no sense to us. I just would encourage you, stop trying to row your boat and put up your sail and allow him to fill your sail and the miracle of him pulling you forward pulling you into the areas that he's, that putting a draw on the Holy Spirit to those that need hope, to those that, that are marginalized, to those that are unseen, to those that are pushed aside. God will start to highlight people. And as you put up your sail, you'll find yourself heading in a tact that you would not normally want to go on your own. And he'll draw you to people that he desperately wants to love on. And if you're open and willing, he'll fill your sail and fill your mouth with his words for people who desperately need it. And how many of you know, one word from God is so much better than a thousand words from me. Allow him to fill you. On the day of Pentecost, the apostles understood that the church was being birthed under a mighty rushing wind of the Spirit of God. And they continued to put up their sails and to follow the wind wherever it pulled them. And I don't believe that that has changed for us Church, you are not asked to be good enough, smart enough, adept enough, learned enough. He just says, would you just put up your sail and allow me to fill that? Would you allow me to just work through you? I'm actually, I know you don't have a, a degree in it. I'm just asking you to just lift up your sail and allow me to work through you. So as we sing this last song, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you've literally never heard a message about these spiritual gifts. You didn't even realize that this was a thing that was even available to you. I just want to encourage you to say, Holy Spirit, I'm open. Like, why would I not want these things to be working in, in power in my life? Why would I not want to spiritually be able to speak love into people that I love? Why would I not want to speak hope and freedom into people who desperately feel worthless and outside? And so, Lord, I pray that even as we sing here today, realizing that we just lift up our sail and allow you to fill it. I pray you would fill us fresh today. Not try to row, row, row our boats, but to literally just say, God, fill me and pull me, pull me into your presence. Let's worship him today.